And I've been trying to explain, you know, there, there's no lead into it. There's no logic that leads up to verse 8 and say, that's why we put this in here. Or there's no logic following verse 8 into verse 9. It is a stand-alone, independent proposition. But it's also a motivator. And of course, this book of Hebrews is all about motivating God's people, moving and persuading Christians to stand fast. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Thank you for joining with us as we bring the message of the gospel today. Today we're going to speak again on the timeless Savior, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who else has a Savior like this? Who else can talk of an unchanging, unfailing, and unequaled Redeemer and Savior as is our Lord Jesus, who came from glory, took our nature, died on the cross, rose again, and praise God shall come in like manner. Stay tuned with us today as we look at this message. We also have a mark moment on the facts of an unclean spirit. And we have a wonderful song, The World Was in Darkness. Stay tuned now for Hebrews 13.8, The Timeless Savior. Well, we're back to Hebrews 13, verse 8. And the text, as we preached this morning and ran out of time, I ended up saying that we would leave the remainder for this meeting tonight because I knew that uh, there are things ought not to be rushed. And so we're coming to this great text, Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today forever. Christ cannot change. He cannot change for the better because he's perfect. And he cannot change for the worse because then he would be imperfect. And being God, absolutely glorious in every one of his perfections or attributes. That's the Puritan's way of putting it, by the way. They call the attributes of God his perfections. And from whatever angle you look at the Lord Jesus, he is perfect. He's perfectly holy, perfectly wise, perfectly powerful, perfectly just, perfectly merciful, and you go right down every one of those attributes. They are his perfections. Now, because he's perfect, he cannot change. And that's a good thing. In Malachi 3, verse 6, it says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And we change. We feel the Lord. We, even like Peter, might even deny him. But the Lord does not fail because he is unchangeable. Now, this commentators call this text an independent proposition. And I've been trying to explain, you know, there, there's no lead into it. There's no logic that leads up to verse 8 and say, that's why we put this in here. 
or there's no logic following verse 8 into verse 9. It is a stand-alone, independent proposition. But it's also a motivator. And of course, this book of Hebrews is all about motivating God's people, moving and persuading Christians to stand fast. Don't yield an inch when it comes to the gospel. Don't go back to the old ways of Judaism. And I emphasize again, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish converts who became New Testament Christians, and they were paying a very heavy price for their Christianity and their service for God. If you were a Jew, you probably would not get a job in the old circles and friendships that you moved in. You would be ostracized. If you abandoned the synagogue, you would be a traitor, and you would be cast out in all of society. And many of these Hebrews were nomadic people. They were literally moving from pillar to post, city to city, because Jerusalem was intolerable. The persecution there was raging uh, rapidly and, 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 and endlessly. And so many of them became the diaspora by choice. It was easier to go out into some Gentile area as a Christian and there to live out the Christian life. And so they were very often tempted to go back. But to go back means you give up Christ. You give up this New Testament gospel, and there would be a great price to it. Now, this text then is that anchor for the soul. That's why I wanted to sing that wonderful hymn tonight. We have an anchor, and that anchor is the unchangeable faithfulness of the Lord Jesus, and he is unchangeable in his grace. The heathen view of God is a God of trouble. The heathen view of God was God had to be appeased. You know, they had their rain God, they had their drought God, they had their gods of war, gods of the storms, and to prevent all these things from happening to you, you sought to appease the gods. And some even had human sacrifices and various other means of paying off those gods. It was really uh, gods of fear, gods of torment, and it brought no peace whatsoever to the hearts of the people. But here is our Lord Jesus. And of course, these Hebrew Christians trusted in him, believed on him, rejoiced in him, found the friendship that is in the Son of God. And they're being now told, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And this was a motivator to continue pressing on in the Christian life. Now, my threefold outline was this. This text reveals the Lord's timelessness. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Lord of all ages. 
And whether you were living in Abraham's day, Moses' day, Isaiah's day, or A.D. 50 as Paul the Apostle, or medieval times, or present day, he's the same Lord Jesus to every one of his people. This text also reveals that the Lord is tireless. He never grows weary. And just as he came into the world with a passion to save his people, to redeem his church, to purchase his bride with his own blood, and was willing to go to the cross, he is just as passionate and tireless to redeem his people today as ever before. He will never lose that love for his church. And that is a great thing to know and a great comfort in the Christian life. Now, the area we didn't get to this morning was the third point. This text reveals the Lord's truthfulness. So at least I've got three T's, timelessness, tirelessness, and truthfulness. And simply put, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, his gospel, his message, is always truthful and applicable to each and every age. And think about it. Over 2,000 years, the teachings of the Lord Jesus have not changed. The Bible never needs to be updated. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are not only the narrative of the history of Jesus in his times, places, and his leadership, but his messages, his sermons, his parables, his promises, do never need to be updated. Now, you think of any textbook in the world that does not need to be updated. And I know that preachers tend to say that this Bible is as up-to-date as tomorrow's newspaper. And, of course, in the areas of prophecy, that is true. And when you think of the prophecies which the Lord Jesus himself made, or that this Bible makes, they are true, and they don't need to be changed. His teachings never change. Think of the Lord's parables, the parables of the kingdom. Some of them were genius in simplicity and yet profoundness. The parable of the wheat and the tares, one of my favorites, great parable to preach. The owner asleep, the enemy sows his tares. The workers discover that these tares are growing among the wheat, and they suggest, let's root them out. But the husbandman says, no, let both grow together until harvest. Now, that message to the generation of the disciples when Christ was alive, powerful, powerful. That message in every century has great wisdom. And to us tonight, we're not going around to destroy everything that doesn't look godly. Let both grow together. And in this world, there's always going to be the mixture of the good and the evil. 
There's not even such thing as a perfect church. And if we think that we're going to have a hundred percent purity within the church, and we see a tear and we want to destroy it, we might do more harm than good. There are certain things we leave to the wisdom and to the providence of God. I mentioned the promises of the Lord, but I want to move on to the gospel. This saving word, this redeeming plan to save sinners from their destruction. And this is the anchor. This is the hope that we have that we will make it one day right into glory. Well, in a church like this, we can sing the Psalms of David. The Psalms of David, like Psalm 40, and it talks about our feet falling into the pit, into the miry clay. But the Lord lifts us out and put a new song within our mouths. Those psalms that were written a thousand years before Christ in the life of David, we can sing them. We can sing tonight the hymns of Luther. Luther's hymns emphasize the simplicity, almost of a childlike faith on depending on the justifying work of the Lord Jesus. And, of course, we can preach the gospel, whether it's Paul, Peter, Augustine, the African Christian, or Wycliffe, or Huss, or Martin Luther, Calvin, Whitfield, or Spurgeon. I can take down a, a copy, a volume of Spurgeon's sermons preached hundred years ago, and I can find the old gospel that still ministers to my heart. And you'll never know how many times I take the ideas and the truths of those sermons and weave them into my own preaching and make them a part of the gospel that I want to present in this generation because there is a true presentation of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? It is about the atoning blood of Jesus. How do you preach that? What terms, what definitions, what examples do you use when you preach the atoning blood of Jesus? Well, there are some key words. One of them is substitutionary. You, I say, and I say this with my own conviction, you can't preach the gospel fully without using the term substitution, because it is the fact that Jesus took my place on the cross, and he suffered in my stead as my substitute, which brings me into liberty. Jesus died for me. And then another key word is justification. That mercy bestowed by which the Lord deals with me just as if I had never sinned. That is a standing or falling doctrine. The church that has it, there's hope that it's a true church. The church that rejects it, they have anathema written over them. Now, I say that with good authority because back in Galatians, in that chapter that we read together, 
You remember the word of the Apostle Paul. If any man preach unto you any other gospel than that which I have preached unto you, let him be anathema. Now, let's go to Galatians 1 and take a little bit of time in some of these verses. Verse 6, for example, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, there has to be something wrong when you write that kind of a message. Now, let's get the context. Paul, the New Testament church planter, he had a part in seeing conversions in Galatia. That's in Asia Minor up north. That's northern part of Turkey today. That's where that church existed. And there were those who professed faith in the gospel. And Paul writes to them, he says, I marvel. I am blown away. I am totally surprised. I'm shocked that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, a totally different gospel. Therefore, it is wrong. Now, he goes on to explain that this another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, in English, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. In verse 6, it is another. In verse 7, he says, it's not another. Well, the key, of course, is the Greek language. The word another in verse 6 is the word from which we get heterodox, heteros, heterodox. It is another gospel of a totally different kind. In verse 7, he says, which is not another. That means another of the same kind. It's not even a similar gospel. It's not even close to the genuine gospel. It is something totally different. Now, my life experience example on this is one day that Beulah and I took the children to Crescent Beach. It was a hot day, a really hot day. Great day to be at Crescent Beach. And you know what kids are like, to give them a spade and give them some sand and a ball, and they can spend hours uh, in a hot afternoon. We were driving a little red car. It was our first car when we came to Canada. A Honda. I've always driven a Honda car of some kind. This little red Honda car, we parked. As you know, you can't really park close to the beach down at Crescent Beach. We parked, and I can't remember if it was any shade when we parked or not, but when we came back to the car again, it was in the full blaze of the sun. And I tried my key in the car. wouldn't work. I tried again. I was mystified. And then I took a look inside, and I saw stuff in the car. It wasn't mine. It wasn't ours at all. It was somebody else's car. It was another Honda, same model, same color. I was fooled, really taken back. It was another car of the same kind. Now, have pity on me. I, you know, if I had gone to a, a white Ford and tried my key in it, you would say I lost it. But I was the car was 
so identical in so many ways that I was taken in. And Paul is saying to these Galatians, you have not just been taken into something that's similar, another of the same kind. The Greek word is alos. But rather, you have moved to something that is radically different, heteros. It is heretical. And I am shocked at the speed at which you have given up the old gospel and move to another gospel of a total different kind. Now we wonder why. If you look at verse 7, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And so we learn that the church of the Lord Jesus always needs to be on guard against those false gospels, those messages and sometimes they're very subtle, and sometimes they lead far, far away from the truth and into absolute heresy and apostasy. You see, there is only one gospel. There is only one plan of salvation for sinners, not two. And the church and every Christian needs to be absolutely sure that we preach the true gospel. A moment in Mark's Gospel, we read here of an unclean spirit in a man while worshipping in the synagogue. A very seeming contradiction. A devil in a house of worship where God is named and honored. Well, we read here in Mark 1.23, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. I wonder what is in this name, the unclean spirit. This is a contradistinction to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, who is the dove for purity, and who works the works of God. We expect that the works of the unclean spirit were depraved and rebellious to God. There is an unholy affinity between such a devil and the works of the flesh in man. Now, when I say holy affinity, that means there is a link in purpose. And we read here in Galatians 5.20 of the works of the flesh, which are these, and it includes idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. And there is the devil at work stirring up the carnal nature of man. Now, here is also the freedom 
which the unclean spirit requested. He said in verse 24, Let us alone. And he used the plural, let us alone. Either he was speaking for a host of demons or for himself and the man whose body he possessed. The devil wanted to be left alone to follow his own agenda of ruling and ruining this man for hellish purposes. And he wanted to do it right there in the synagogue. We learn how Christ's ministry was upsetting to the powers of darkness. The ungodly world wants to be left alone. They object to the divine authority and the presence of Christ. It's an interesting thought that the ministry of the scribes didn't upset the demon in this man. Oh, that our ministries were marked like Christ, that they would make the devil mad rather than allowing the devil to have his own way. Now, I want to think about the facts that the unclean spirit knew. In verse 24, we find out that he knew that Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. He knew that he would ultimately, in the final day, defeat all powers of the devil and his minions. He said, Let us alone. We know who thou art, thou Jesus of Nazareth. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. We learn here that the devils are intelligent beings. They know the nature of God, that God is a trinity, and that Christ is divine. Here we learn the sources of sorcery. Because devils are highly intelligent, men seek to gain information from them. That becomes the devil's bait to hook sinners and pull them into his net. From this, we learn that spiritual intelligence is not salvation. The devil is very smart, but he's not saved. The angels look into these things, but they cannot be saved. We need to be careful to warn any who boast in their biblical knowledge or religious experience when it has not led them to repentance over their sins and faith to trust in Christ for salvation. Until men are worshippers of the Lord in spirit and truth, we must not assume that knowledge of religious facts is a sure sign of personal salvation. No, it's not how much we know. It is how much we trust and rest our case in the person, the power, authority, and the grace that is in our Lord Jesus. Are you united to Jesus, the Son of God? Are you trusting in Him? Are you His follower? Oh, I pray that the devil's ministry is long gone out of your life, and that you serve the Lord Jesus only. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.